When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine, and we have Dave Thompson, of course, our longtime contributor and frequent guest on the podcast. Dave, you've been on the podcast quite a bit. Um, Apparently. We always have good chats on these uh, podcast episodes. But what we want to talk about today is your, your new book. And I was I, suggesting we're not going to have a good chat. <laughs> yeah, we normally have a good chat. Your latest book, An Evolving Tradition, The Child Ballads of in Modern Folk and Rock. Um, is this officially out? It's out I, of- um, if it's Friday, no, I believe it comes out tomorrow. Okay. Yes, Saturday. All right, great. So tell me how this talking about evolved tell me how this project evolved into a book oh well many many years ago when i was tiny um i would go out and i'd buy my folk rock records by fepple convention and steel i span and so on and so forth and i kept seeing like songs credited to child with a number and you know being very young I just assumed it was, you know, it was this very prolific songwriter who wrote very old songs. Um, and then I found a copy of the Child Ballads, which is a multi-volume collection of ballads compiled by a Harvard professor named Child. And it's like, aha, that's why he has numbers beside his name as well, because it would be like Child 7, Child 43. Um, so I so I looked at what I had and thought, oh, I've got quite a collection of these, um, not realizing that people have been recording child ballads since 1908 or re- recording and releasing since 1908, just recording them since 1906. Um, so I started collecting them and the collection got sort of bigger and bigger and bigger. And we fast forward oh, several hundred years I was writing a book with um, Steve Ashley, who is one of Britain's premier folk singers, although he writes his own songs, good for him. Um, And he was in the Albion band with Ashley Hutchings, who used to be in Steely and Fairport. And one day they were talking about, we need to do a folk song. And they sort of dug around and Steve and one of the other band members, Royston, went off and 
they found this album called Unto Brig Fair, which was a collection of recordings made in 1908 by a gentleman named Percy Granger of real real life folk singers, like old men living in the wilds who whiled away their time singing the old songs. And this album was released and they played it. And there's this one track that they loved called Lord Bateman. And they thought, oh, we should do a version of that. And they did. And Steve told me this story when we were writing the book. And I just thought, yeah, isn't that amazing that this song that was recorded in 1908 could 64 years later inspire a folk rocks version? And that got me looking at how songs, I mean, some of these songs are like hundreds of years old. Some of them are accused of being you know, close to a thousand years old, even older than you. And um, I like still... the, the word accused. <laughs> okay, go ahead, I'm sorry. They're still out there. They're still alive. They're still being recorded. And it's such an amazing story of survival. I've been, I started thinking, wouldn't it be great to write a book tracing that survival and every step of it or most steps of it? Mm. How songs are unearthed by collectors, how they you know, are recorded in the field, hence being called field recordings, not literally a field, by the way. And, um, then people hear them and say, oh, I'm going to do a version of that one. And I just still, they're still coming out today. The book, the most recent album in the book, which is by a band called the London Experimental Ensemble, actually comes out tomorrow. Hmm. And that's, that's the most recent album in the book. So as of publication, it's an extraordinarily up-to-date book. Hmm. And there is also a free download of the album with the book. Yeah. Which is rather cool. Yeah. What's on that download? Um, their album. They oh, did, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. They recorded six songs from the child ballads, which are the very last six in the book. This is their first ever commercial recording. And they have people like Richard Thompson and Marisa Nadler and John Wesley Harding. Uh, singing wow so it's like it's an amazing album and yeah it's it's a free download with the book or you can buy it on vinyl from the usual places or buy both well since we you know goldmine focuses on the record collecting and memorabilia collecting of pop modern popular music uh let's talk about how the child ballads have affected um, certain bands, uh, say from classic rock, uh, you know, one of my favorite bands, Led Zeppelin, you know, on their third album that came out in 1970, uh, Gallows Pole, the song Gallows yeah. Pole, evolved from a child ballad. Called... Well, it is a child ballad. It didn't It didn't even really evolve. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it has, ch the, the original child ballad was called The Maid Freed from the Gallows. Well... That's one of those things that is open to debate. Um, okay. At the beginning of the book, I make the point that the majority of the ballads all have like, a whole list of alternate names. Hmm. 
Um, for instance, Scarborough Fair, which was right. that hit for Simon and Garfunkel, um, is also known as the Elfin Knight. My father gave me an acre of land. Sing Ivy, true lover of mine, Cambridgeshire, Strawberry Lane, and so on and so forth. There, we don't know what the original title was. A child picked one for his book and said, well, this, you know, this is what I think it should be called. Uh, and then listed out listed the others. So Gallows Pole is the title that goes back at least a hundred years, mm. or Hangman, or any. I mean, any variety, any variation on the lyrics. Well, it was popularized by Lead Belly, right, in the nineteen thirties. He did it in the thirties as Gallows yeah. Pole. Yeah. But then, then you also talk about. Uh, an English performer called Red Sullivan, who maybe you can explain a little bit about Red uh, to the American <laughs> listeners. Um, well, he was he was a, he was you know a folk club denizen in the fifties and early sixties, right? Um, and of course, I mean Gallows Pole. Um, it was in his repertoire, right? But again, most of these songs. Everybody who we know of as you know, a, a folk rocker or beyond who has recorded traditional songs, they have probably all at least sung Gallows Pole. Mm. They've sung most of them. There's a, say, three, three or four dozen uh, child ballads which are in the repertoire of every folk singer. Mm. You can go out to a folk club today 10 years ago 20 years ago 50 years ago and you will hear many of the same songs the difference is how they are approached right led zeppelin's version of gallows pole was most notable because it was done led zeppelin style and you know you had plants distinctive vocal but if you actually sort of strip away the led zeppelin-esque of how it sounds they're not doing it that much different to any other version. Right. Well, Jimmy Page, uh, he claimed it was based on something he found on the Folkways album, Gallows yes. and other folk songs, yeah. by uh, a singer, American singer named Fred Gerlach, right? Yeah. And... That's the strange thing about, well, it's not really strange when you think about it, but the child ballads, the official title of the book is the English and Scottish popular ballads. Right. So the assumption is that they were all sung in England um, and when child or Scotland. So when child did his book, he concentrated on versions that had been written about or published in previous songbooks only in England and Scotland. And every so often, some while he was putting the book together, somebody would write to him and say, oh, I've got a version of so-and-so, which was sung by my grandmother in, I don't know, Nantucket or New York or wherever. I believe and, you. And he would just note it, you know, there is also an American variant. And mm. after he died, and it was during that period when all the missionary schools were opening up in the Appalachians to try to bring civilization to people who were quite happy living as they were. Um, they suddenly realized that 
all these folk songs had actually migrated to America with the settlers over the centuries hmm. and to Canada and to you know, Vermont, Massachusetts, all the way down the East Coast, there were English folk songs, some of which had taken on their own character, you know, a lyric change, a place name might change. And from there, they then started creeping across the country. So you find in the camps that were set up following the Dust Bowl um, in California, people mm. were going out there and hearing child ballads sung by people from Oklahoma. Hmm. Uh, so they spread all over this country. Um, so it's not that unusual that there are so many Americans being cited as inspiration on new recordings or even Led Zeppelin recordings because they were part of the American culture as well. And, and right, they're, they're, I guess people you know it was entertainment and they were fascinated by the stories behind yeah and the lyrics and some of them are quite like gallows pole quite morbid <laughs> oh there's far worse there's, there's one called, yeah, know, so. there's one called long lankin um which is basically about a serial killer and very detailed in how they kill the baby uh, <laughs> there are you know women committing suicide because they're pregnant by their brother. I mean, there's death and disaster and despondency throughout the book. Yes. It's like uh, how people today are addicted to true crime. People yes. <laughs> didn't have a and, television. And these may well have been the true crime stories of the day. <laughs> right. Um, through the book, I try not to dwell on the fun bit, uh, on the morbid bits. Right. Uh, Every so often, you know, I'll come across a line in a version of the song, and it's like, you have to put this in. Yeah, he cut off her head and kicked it against the walls. Wow. <laughs> well, it's 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 interesting, even going back to the Gallows Pole song, um, you know, how people in the Led Zeppelin version, uh, I, it's a guy waiting for his relatives to arrive to be there for his hanging right yeah. and it's sort of strange how you know the word evolved how it came to that because in in the original uh you know the maid freed from the gallows this is a this is I say, be careful about the use of the word original because there are also early oh yeah yeah sorry there um, are early versions where it right. is a man um gene ritchie who i'm sure you know of um, she tells that when she was a child, um, her family sang Gallows Pole and they sang it as a maid. Their neighbours, like five miles away, sang it as a man. Yeah, yeah. And that was back in the 1920s. So well, again... This, it, this version by Gerlach that Jimmy Page was influenced by, mm -hmm. um, was it a... Have you heard that version, obviously? Yeah. Yes. Is it a guy in that version? Guy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, well, Gerlach said it would. It was such a emotionally strenuous number that he would have to like perform it. He even says in his liner notes, perform it regularly for a week before he really got it down. Um, the most terrifying version, and I use that term kind of literally, 
is by John Jacob Niles, who was a folk singer, an American folk singer, started really in the, in the very late 1930s, recorded through the 40s and 50s, appeared at one of the first Newport festivals. He had a voice which he described as, you know, the male alto C sharp, but somebody else described as the sound of a feral turkey being slowly boiled <laughs> um, in C sharp. Uh, it, and his version, it's all over the place sonically. You know, he'll be singing sort of fairly low and then he'll just go up into this most terrifying falsetto um, without any warning and then drop out of it again. Um, listening to him, it can almost be disconcerting, but he really brings over the emotion in the song. And that's a lot of what these, sing these songs are, all these ballads right. are. They are a way of conveying emotion, excitement. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I, I was fascinated by child ballads because most of the ones that you saw recorded by British bands in the 70s were the gory ones or the the magical ones, the occult. Um, you know, they didn't do the I gave my love a cherry and, you know, the nice songs. Right. It went for the balls out and monsters are going to get your songs. Yeah, when I first uh, started listening to Zeppelin when I was a kid, I mean, I always found Gal I always found Gallus Paul interesting in this sort of pleading with the hangman. Yeah. Wait, wait a little while to my relatives show up, whether, you know, he gave them a tip. You know, sometimes they used to give the executioner money, right? To... Yes. <laughs> I mean, one of the reasons I was so disappointed by um, Led Zeppelin IV is they did the Battle of Evermore with okay. Sandy Denny. And, you know, they wrote that themselves. And you can tell because it's such an ersatz traditional song. Mm. It's, there were so many others, child ballads or otherwise, there were so many other ballads out there that make the same point, tell a similar story, but are so much more visceral than this, which you know, in comparison with some of them, it's basically just wittering. Um, sorry to any Led Zeppelin fans out there, and that's their favorite song. Well, what I, I mean, find interesting is that take a band like Zeppelin and a lot of rock bands, they always say how, you know, they ripped off the blues. They're such a, a American blues copycats, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But no one seems, everyone seems to overlook how much influence, you know, these English ballads or ancient songs had on these bands too. Well, I mean, that's true because, you know, Led Zeppelin fell into that pit that awaits a lot of artists where the first thing that people hear and go mad for is what they are forever. So, yeah. you know, David Bowie was still being called the glam star when he died. Right. Glam rock was you know, 40 years earlier, but now he's still the glam rock star. <laughs> Zeppelin, you know, were a blues band until they died. Right. Uh, you know, Genesis were prog even when they're doing Land of Confusion. They were still the prog band at Genesis. Right. Because once a label sticks, you're stuck with it. Right. Um, 
I mean, that's why pretty much the first words in this book is this is not a book about folk music. Right. It isn't. It's a book about how folks, some folk, you know, a bunch of folk songs have been treated in a whole variety of genres. I have classical music versions. I have some insane 1920s blues versions. Um, there's comedy, there's rock, there's heavy metal, there's pop. Um, I didn't, I don't have a tape of it. I don't know if there is a tape of it, but I remember, okay, there's a, there's a, one of the child ballads is called Anarchy Gordon. Mm. And this has been oh, 78, 79. I was at a gig and there was a guy up on stage with an acoustic guitar like he was in a he was a punk acoustic troubadour uh so he was singing something like i hate maggie thatcher strum 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 and i mean he was really good and then he did anarchy gordon in the uk which was <laughs> that the child ballad played a la sex pistols with <laughs> that sounds pretty with, with changed lyrics and it's like at the time i was utterly impressed i still am when i think back to it I've never been able to find out who he was you know what was his name whatever happened to him did he go off and become someone else i know nothing at all about this person beyond the fact that they did a gig and played anarchy gordon in the uk um, but he gets into the book anyway because how can he not right you, you dedicate a lot I, quite a bit of space to steel eye span and you said that you were a big fan oh of, yeah yeah maybe you could talk a little bit about them uh, in case um, well i will first say in my defense i dedicate a lot of space sometimes even more to people who weren't still i span um folk rock really doesn't come into the book till more than halfway right right, um, right. but still i still were interesting in as much as Maddie Pryor and Tim Hart, who were sort of the leaders of the band once they became well known, were a duo playing around the folk clubs. Ashley Hutchings, who started the band, had just left Fairport Convention. Martin Carthy, who I doubt needs any introduction, was a member early on. So were Gay and Terry Woods, who were another. Well, Terry Woods came from you know, a big Irish band. I mean, they were all all names, and they came together in. I suppose you could call it a you know a folk rock supergroup did three albums everybody had left by then apart from maddie and tim Hart, tim hart who put together a whole new band got new management it went completely insane electric they brought in a guitarist and a ranger who wanted nothing more than to play just loud threatening guitar and they had an electric violinist who was even even worse, I am very mad, very electric violin. And then they went out and they found the most grisly folk songs they could, including a bunch of child ballads, but more besides. And they set them to the, to the soundtracks that they deserved. Um, they did three, three albums at their peak, which are just littered with the, I mean, it's almost, metallic in a way um there's a they do a version of child ballad alison gross and it's just riffs and 
you know, heavy, heavy, heavy. And it ends with, you know, everything exploding. Um, it was phenomenal at the time. And I mean, I still listen to it now. I don't know how it would sound to somebody who didn't grow up with it. Right. Um, but it's certainly not twee folk music. Right. Which allows us then to think back to there's a, a lot of people. In fact, I was talking to someone this morning who said, you're going to get hammered for this book because there's a very vocal folk music cognoscenti, is, I think is a nice word, um, for whom folk music is the voice of the people. It can only be sung unaccompanied if an instrument is even allowed to stray into the same room, its owner must be put in the stocks and pelted with rotten fruit. Um, and here I am writing about people, I say, they all have instruments, they have loud guitars, they have fiddles, they have drums. Um, they do improvisational music while singing the ballads and strange voices. Um, they're going to hate it. <laughs> but people, I would say when people think of folk music, right, they think of the protest songs, right? There was, there was I think to an extent, but you also think of Power to the people, Woody Guthrie type. Well, Woody Guthrie, yeah. But you also think of, you know, early one morning or you, did you you watch Animal House, didn't you, the movie? Yeah. Um, the guy sitting on the stairs singing, I brought my lover Cherry and Belushi snatches the guitar away from him, smashes it against the wall. That's a folk song. That's a child ballad. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, they get everywhere. Um Penny Dreadful, the, the TV series, I was watching it, up yeah. pops a child ballad. Yeah. Um, there was another, there was a couple of other uh, series like whose names I have conveniently forgotten. But you're watching them quite innocently, innocently and up pops a child ballad. Yeah. Like, little things are everywhere. There's 305 of them. And it's sometimes it feels like it's hard to turn around without meeting one, whether you're aware of it or not. Well, we I mean, talked a lot about Gallus Pole. What's your favorite? Um, Long Lankin, which is the one uh, serial killer killing babies. Um, that's one of them. Um, Tam Lynn, which is one of the great Scottish fairy horror stories, is one of them. But I also like, I like some of the nicer ones as well. The Unquiet Grave, which is a girl is mourning for her lover and he comes back and she's like, oh, let me kiss you. He says, no, you don't want to do that because then you'll die. Um, that's a good one. <laughs> and then there's uh, ballads about Robin Hood. Uh, Professor Child, for whatever reason, was obsessed with Robin Hood and included 40-odd oh. Robin Hood ballads in, <laughs> in the book. And the strange thing is, when you're going through you know, child ballads that have and haven't been recorded very much, the Robin Hood ones are all at the very bottom of the pile. It's like very few people record the Robin Hood ballads, mm. but they don't need to because all of the stories you've seen on telly, you've read in the books, you've watched in the movies. Right. All of the classic Robin Hood stories are derived from ballads. Well, American uh, culture has been strangely obsessed with Robin Hood. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
there's and there's Robin Hood ballads that made their way over here. Uh, people who were collecting ballads from you know, people in the wilds in the thirties, forties, fifties, yeah, they'd be happily collecting away. And suddenly, one of these people would sing them a Robin Hood ballad, and they'd be like, "What? Yeah, I've never heard never heard of that one being sung in America before." So, oh yeah, I learned it from my dad in an American accent, obviously. Um, I learned it from a dad. He learned it from his. Um, Robin, yeah, Robin Hood is Robin Hood again. Is he's everywhere, and you know, you watch a movie, the chances are there's a ballad. Right. What, what I want to go back to, you know, what you said about an artist getting stuck in this sort of genre-specific categorization. Um, I. I had one reader one time I did a, a a feature in the magazine, Judy Collins, and they wrote Judy Collins. <laughs> you know, they, they had this sort of like not knowing anything about her, that she was the sappy songstress. <laughs> but as your book points out, she was rather attracted to some of these more morbid. Yes. <laughs> she, I mean, in the late 50s, early 60s, when she was first taking off, she was very much the herald for that whole new young generation yeah. of folk singers. Right. Uh, you know, Joan Bias also. Without those two, and again, you know, Joan Bias also gets a bad rap from serious music fans. Um, <laughs> you know, apart from the Dylan bits. But, but the two of them were recording child ballads you know, on their very early albums. And yes, they moved into self-composed material and they moved into other people's material. Mm -hmm. But that's because you, know, you can't make a, you know, they were, they were signed to major record labels. They were expected to sell records. Right. Um, so, you know, if, if, you've got, if you've got a choice between singing you know, Child 294 or a song that Leonard Cohen has just written it for you. Hmm, that's a hard decision, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and, you know, artists also, just as listeners' musical tastes change, artists' musical tastes change. And what was you know, deathlessly important to you when you're, you know, 19 is not necessarily what you're going to want to be listening to or playing or writing when you're 29. Absolutely not. <clears throat> I can't think some of the stuff I listened to when I was 19. Jeez. I'm sure the stuff you listened to at 29 was no better. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I stopped at 24. I, I mean, I do <laughs> listen to some of it that has aged well, but some of it was, uh, God, what was what was wrong with me? Yeah. But no, I, I could see how artists definitely yeah. can no longer see themselves. They force themselves to play their hits that the fans expect. Uh, but yeah, they're you know they're an artist. They're constantly changing. Yeah, or one hopes, one hopes they are, unless they're in that sort of sad coterie who actually run out of ideas and all they can do is recycle but but it's wonder this book is wonderfully researched thank you it's fascinating um it took you years to write obviously because um, there's so much into it it uh, took me years to plan the actual by the time i came to write it 
that's that's a would, better way of describing it yeah yeah um i've been thinking first time i ever mentioned it publicly again i mentioned steve ashley earlier i was writing a book with him his authorized biography and or autobiography actually and at the end i put you know coming soon from dave thompson you know a book about the child ballads yeah. and that was in 2013 so i'd already been thinking about it before then yeah. uh, since 2013 i had continued thinking about it and there were false starts and there were i'm going to do it this way i'm going to do it that way um never got around to doing anything with it and one day i was talking to a publisher friend and you know he was like what are you doing next and i said i'm gonna i want to do a book about the child ballads he said i'll take it and it's like oh all right and that was and that would have been what i think at late 2021 um so i sat down i probably wrote it in six months because it had been germinating for so long mm. and i had collected so much material for it and most of the interviews I'd have wanted in the book, I'd already done, including, you know, several for Goldmine. Yeah. It's a wonderful so job, over 400 pages. Um, <laughs> I love the cover, even though, you know, um, you you said that you uh, were uncertain about it? or I've never had a book with naked toes on the cover. I think it's great. One a child of my... in, in a field with wildflowers. It's, it's... I mean, oh that's i never thought of it like that yeah. i mean i i've been writing books for 40 years oh, shut up for a while and you know i've done a lot not one of them has ever had naked toes on the cover well, and when they, said, when they sent me this and said what do you think of it and i just sort of looked at it toes and my wife came over and said i love it yeah i sent it to a friend i love it and it's like Innocence, okay. it's, it, to me, it expresses innocence in the wild, you know. Um, I, I just see toes and daisies. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, an evolving tradition, the child ballads and modern folk and rock by Dave Thompson. And real fast, what's next on the Dave Thompson list? Um, I don't really know. Um, Sometimes that's the best thing you'll yeah, will just come to you. There's various things sort of bubbling in pots in different parts of the house. Um, I haven't really made up my mind what I want to do next. Well, people I don't realize you branch outside of music and do Doctor Who. Yeah. Right? A lot of different pop culture stuff. So, yeah. And I'm kind of getting into the mood. What I'd like to do, um, and this will never be podcast on Goldmine, is um, a book about the Ziegfeld Follies. Hmm. because I adore the Ziegfeld Follies, always have. And it'd be great to actually sit down and do a fun book about it that's not only about the music, only about the sexual politics, just so, the story. I know you adore Eurovision. Maybe you could do something on that. You know, there's Eurovision books out there. None of them are very good, but... There you go. Yeah, it's... I'd need to bring something to it apart from the fact that I like it. Yeah, I like it. Um, I also don't know whether there is really an audience for your books about Eurovision. It's great. Why Americans me. wouldn't like Eurovision. <laughs> Not that. It's, there are some. There are some things. They are a great spectacle. 
you know, yeah. you sit down once a year and you devote you know, three and a half hours of your life to watching strange people from exotic lands get up and sing a song. Mm. Um, that is fun. Do you really want to read about it as well? <laughs> I don't, but you know, you uh, know. I mean, I I collect I collect the records. Right. Uh, I have a huge collection of Eurovision records, but again, it's like the idea of writing about it, the record collecting aspect of it. Now, a record collecting guide to Eurovision. We should do a price guide. Eurovision price. There you go. It might be a future goldmine article. We'll test the waters. Hmm. If anyone was interested, a goldmine special. Well, thank you, Dave. And listeners, don't forget to go to goldminemag.com and also go to shop.goldminemag.com. There you can uh, pick up vinyl and you can also read, you know, content that's not in the magazine and the print edition, which you can get at Barnes and Noble and Books a Million stores and also in our store. Thanks, Dave. And thank you. We'll be talking to you again, obviously. Yes. Readers will be seeing you in the pages of Goldmine. And hey, online. Lucky readers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks very much. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.